Welcome to the Black Bar on Blog Talk Radio. Sit back and engage as we tackle the issues important to you and your family. It is our desire to equip you with up-to-date information, commentary, and solutions to life's biggest challenges facing our communities. Thank you for joining us as we embark on this journey to raise awareness about the importance of faith, family, and fatherhood in the African-American community and beyond. Now, here's your host, Executive Director of Fathers Incorporated, Kenneth Braswell. Welcome to the Black Bar on Air. I'm your host, Kenny Braswell, and you are in the midst of a continuing series called Dialogue About Fathers. The series is a part of our national campaign, our National Save Our Daughters Night, that will take place on May 8th. For more information on that campaign, you can visit the website at www.saveourdaughtersnight.com. You can also look us up on fathersincorporated.com. And so uh, we have continued to do this work. We've had some great guests. Uh, We have talked about mental health. Uh, We've talked about relationships. We've talked about suicide. And the conversation just continues to move further and further as we continue to delve into the concerns and issues with respect um, to our girls within our families and our daughters. And I have a great guest and friend on the line today. Um, her name is Tony Blackman. She is a performer, an artist, an entrepreneur, a college lecturer. She's a speaker. And one of the things that I learned recently last year as we did some work together in South Carolina is that she has the ability to summon a Negro spiritual at the appropriate time, which is a a, 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 a <laughs> nat. <laughs> Which is a knack. Everybody can't do that. You should you should uh make sure that that's on your resume, Tony. <laughs> okay. So how you doing? I'm good, I'm good. Um, do you still hold the title um as the hip hop ambassador? Well, I I I'm I'm still a hip hop ambassador. Um I'm not the only one. Um I was the first one mm-hmm. and I think uh the work that I did was sort of a pilot, guinea pig uh, approach to figuring out um, how to how to set up programming so that others could do it as well. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think about five years later, that other people started being sent out. So I was the first year hip hop ambassador. Okay, cool. Tell us a little bit about um, your work and what you're up to today. Well, uh, what I'm up to today is my my work is focusing on how to promote the cipher as a tool for community building and leadership development. The cipher is the circle. It's a circle of sharing. It represents 360 degrees, giving, exchanging energy, information, and ideas. And it's it's about bringing people together and creating a safe space for artists to grow and to develop and to build, but also using the cipher outside of the hip-hop community and with non-artists alike, because the cipher is about community and connection. And that's my focus, like borrowing these hip-hop concepts that can be used for spiritual growth and development for everybody. And I think that's one of the, the gifts that hip-hop brings to the world, is that it often provides spiritual consciousness for those that don't even know they have one. Mm-hmm. And the challenge is uh, with some of the work that I do is that, you know, the media doesn't, you know, put a spotlight on it so people aren't aware. So my job is to, 
to bring it uh, in front of people's faces and to push it mm-hmm. <laughs> and to demand they listen and they check it out. So I have a book, Wisdom of the Cipher, that will come out later this year. And um, I have an audio project. It's called the Meditational Mixtape Series. And I'm working with Cortland Hankins of Smart Monkey Studios in the Bronx. And we'll be finishing up the first installment. We'll be complete with everything um, ready to get mastered by April 3rd Mm -hmm. and covers done. And um, I'm really excited about it. So it's just a series. It has hip-hop music. It has a few songs, a guided meditation, a prayer, and an excerpt of a talk on each CD. And the first one is called Believe. Mm-hmm. And um, the second one is uh, called forgiveness. So really, just looking at human concepts and um, and using hip hop to do that. Yeah, you know, one of the things I was having a conversation some time ago. I don't remember who with, but it was obviously somebody who grew up in New York City who understood what I was talking about, and we were talking about the cipher. And I said, you know, one of the positive outcomes of the cipher. Um, that we didn't clearly understand. And, you know, I grew up in Crown Heights, so I grew up not only in Crown Heights, but I grew up hanging out in Bedford-Stuyvesant and Brownsville in East New York. And many of my friends when I was growing up, particularly in the late 70s, uh, mid-70s to late 70s, um, became five percenters. And so I was always around the cipher, and I was always around um, that level of understanding. Never had a desire to do it myself because I was brought up in a Christian household, and mm-hmm. it was either do that or come into my mother's house and get my legs broken, which is what she told me. And so I decided to keep my legs intact and just kind of be around um, the brothers when they were doing their thing. But, you know, they were always kind enough. I was always in the mix. I always knew what was going on. But what I believe to be the beautiful thing about the cipher that you don't we don't talk enough about, and that is yeah. it encouraged both reading and studying. That I remember brothers who would read the deepest books, Van Sertima, I mean, the deepest, deepest books, and could tell you what page a line was on in a book. Mm -hmm. Um, That was the level to which they were into studying self-awareness, acknowledgement of particularly the black man and family and really understanding, you know, who we were. And I think that as a result of, you know, moving away or our community moving away um, from that space, that somehow at at least black men, I'm not going to say, you know, all black people, but at least black men who were the ones who were hanging out on the corners and around the hood, somewhere in there lost the desire to do that level of studying and reading. Mm -hmm. And so... Tell me about your life a little bit growing up in New York City because I know that it has had, I know that it had an influence on who you are today. Well, you know, a lot of people think I'm from New York. Um, <laughs> I'm actually from what's thought to be the opposite, California. Wow. And I've been in New York 15 years. Um, I've wanted to be in New York since I was nine years old. I made a proclamation to my mom. And I told my grandpa, this is where I will be living. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I crack up every time I ride across the Brooklyn Bridge or the Manhattan Bridge because uh, I am here. Um, I think I was heavily influenced by everything hip-hop, which um, up until about 10 years ago meant everything New York, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the, you know, the South made its presence known, the West Coast made its presence known, but... 
the, the, you know, the first 15 years or so, hip-hop was really, really rooted in, in New York culture. And it's something that I wonder about, um, because when you go to places, like I've traveled to 40 countries around the world, mm-hmm. and some of it on official visits and doing hip-hop diplomacy, some of it independently as an artist, visiting festivals, and I get invites, and some of it social. I have a lot of um, really great friends who live on the continent of Africa that I've met through my travels that I will visit. And there are these reference points for growth and development that come out of hip-hop lyrics and songs where there are, I know people who come to visit New York and they'll want to go this place because they remember Nas saying it in a song. Mm. Or they want to go see this place because Run DMC said it. Our public enemy mentioned it. And there are things that we here take for granted. Mm-hmm. And we don't understand how much and how important and significant our culture is to the world. Like this stuff has carved a heart in, inside of inside of inside of people. It's like they said when the Beatles first came to America, there was this spot on the strip in L.A. that they just had to go to. Mm-hmm. We have that same story, but we don't recount our stories. We don't capture our stories. We don't retell our stories because we don't place value on them. And it's one of the disadvantages of being such a talented people, such a creative people, is that we take that talent and creativity for granted. I re- there was a spiritual mentor of mine, an older white woman in Mount Airy, um, Pennsylvania, when I lived in Philly, and I remember going to see her. As, um, to, I was studying intuition and how to be more intuitive, how to tap into it, how to surrender and pay attention. And she sat me down after a session, and she said, you know, I'm going to tell you something about your people and one of your purposes in this life. And she says, I often hear black parents, African parents, African people, people of African descent, discouraging their children from pursuing their creativity from developing their creativity. And she was like, it's like, don't they see that the rappers are the only ones on the awards that start by thanking God and their mama? Mm. No other people do that. And she's like, don't they see that the most impact in terms of music and dance comes from black people? Like, she gave me all these examples. Mm -hmm. And she said, that's God speaking. That's God expressing what music moves you most, touches anyone's heart, regardless if they understand it, it's the black spiritual. Mm. It's those spiritual hymns. She's like, it is the soul of black folk. And this is an old white woman telling me this. Mm-hmm. And she said, you are to remind your people to honor the God within them. And that best way they can do it is to not denying this gift. Yeah, when you talk about that abroad perspective, you know, I like yeah. you, I haven't been to 40 countries yet, but I've been to enough to get a nice sense um, that hip-hop has found its way to the four corners of this earth. And so mm-hmm. we had an experience, Patrick and I, a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, um, to go to Mongolia. And, mm-hmm. you know, Mongolia Mongolia is on the other side of the earth from us in north. It's just a, it's, it's a different place. And mm-hmm. we got off the mm-hmm. plane, and they sent the young man to come and pick us up at the airport. It was 
um, about you know 20 no it wasn't the summer it was it's about 20 degrees but Mongolia gets to 50 50 degrees below zero but we didn't go during that time of the year mm-hmm. and when the guy comes and grabs our bags and he puts them in the car and he opens the door and we get in the car and what is he listening to little Wayne Mm-hmm. And not the Mongolian version. He's listening to the raw Little Wayne version of whatever song he was listening to. And Patrick and I just turned to each other and it's like, and we just said to ourselves at the same time, this is amazing. This mm-hmm. is amazing that our culture, the one who people believe has no value um, whatsoever, um, tends to make it into a car of a Mongolian on the other side of the world. Uh, where they probably never thought their gift would go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I want to shift our gears a little bit because I want to kind of talk about this space of hip-hop, particularly as it relates to our girls. And I'm often yeah. intrigued with respect to this conversation, and I was having this conversation as well the other day. And I was like, where is the outcry? Remember there was a very big outcry with respect to hip-hop lyrics and imagery in videos and people were very vocal about that Mm -hmm. and that seems to has seemed to have gone away um and not to say that all music and definitely not all hip-hop is in that space but the more commercial stuff tends to be over there are we still as concerned today with respect to the lyrics as it relates to the demeaning of girls or are we just desensitized to it I think I think we are we're still upset. I think we're still impacted by it. I think in in some ways um there's a level of frustration that has uh, a lot of folks there there's so many problems to confront right now. Mm-hmm. Um that people feel overwhelmed and powerless. And this is a debate I have often with those who spend, uh, you know, three hours a day criticizing pop culture on the net, but they don't even give three minutes a day to supporting pop culture that they want to see. And so I I know a myriad of individuals with programs and projects, positive endeavors, uh, quality endeavors um, that find trouble Getting support, and I'm not just talking about financial support. Um, there are there are smart people who could support offering their minds and their time and their guidance and their advisement, and they don't. Mm. They just sit around complaining. So I think that's one issue. I think another thing that's come up now is that um, with the when when uh, police brutality and death come to the forefront, girl issues always get pushed to the side. Mm. And, and that's that's when we get into this, when we have to be very careful, because then we start making it this either-or competition thing. Mm-hmm. It's like the folks who don't get why My Brother's Keeper is important and who, instead of supporting My Brother's Keeper, they just complain that girls aren't there. Mm-hmm. When when Why can't you just do both? Um, why can't you uplift this male program and then contribute to making sure a girls program happens? And so... I think this. I think I think that's part of what has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, the shift has occurred because there's a major crisis right in our space, mm-hmm. and um, 
it's just it's a lot. And one of the challenges with being black in America is that we always have a lot to deal with. Mm-hmm. And, and and I know a number of people who are checking out. When uh, Trayvon, um, uh, when the, when the Trayvon got murdered, and then George Zimmerman got off, and when the cat, what's the cat who got executed in Georgia? When that happened, and I think that Mike Brown just sent them over the edge. Mm-hmm. Like they don't want to read an article, watch a video, <laughs> have a conversation. Mm-hmm. They have checked out. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I posted something on social media recently because a, a friend of mine um, who is, you know, I'm an empath. I'm super sensitive. I'm not a frontline warrior. That's not my work. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very clear my work is often with young people and it's to build them, to give them coping skills and mechanisms to deal with this world and to become leaders themselves and to express myself through my creativity and that's what I've been about the business of doing. And this woman is a is a kindred spirit, but she, but she's allowed it. She hasn't worked through her feelings. Mm. And so there's a lot of us who this is thing. It's this thing spiritually. You don't have to be at a thing like I don't have to be in Ferguson, Missouri, to be traumatized by what happened there. Absolutely. And a lot of people don't acknowledge that. Like, you can be traumatized by watching it on the Internet. Right. And particularly if you're black, he's black, you can be traumatized by that. When you watched his father cry, you can be traumatized by that. So people don't realize there's a lot of us, our peers, Ken, Mm -hmm. we have a lot of our peers walking around PTSD right now. Absolutely. And so it's hard to be productive when you're in that space and you have not done your own healing you have not done your own processing and you're not able to acknowledge the pain that's present, so you just numb out. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's the unfortunate piece about what happens to our girls. And, and I know as a young girl, like I, exp- I experienced it sometimes where my mother's emotion, she just wouldn't emote much. Mm-hmm. I knew she loved me, food, shelter, clothing, all these things taken care of. I had a, I had a major extended family but there was that 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 numbing that black folks in America have mastered. Yeah, but you know, music has always been our outlet and expression. Yeah. You know, I've often, <coughs> excuse me, have told people that you know there are there are a few songs that you can really pinpoint um, to our frustration. I always point to um, Marvin Gaye, um, as he says. Um, make me want to holler, throw up both my hands. And mm-hmm. then you go to um, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, don't push me because I'm close to the edge. I'm trying yeah. not to lose my edge. And now our children are still expressing this frustration, but no one is hearing it. How do we get people to hear the expression, particularly our people? Because what I do believe also, um, you know, as we could challenge hip-hop artists, and I use DMX always as an example. And so the most popular stuff that DMX um, made never hit the airwaves in my mm-hmm. mindset. The stuff that hit the airwaves was the party stuff, the degrading stuff. 
But DMX always had a prayer song on his CD, and he always had some other songs on his CD that spoke to the black condition that mm-hmm. never raised. How do we get people to begin to start valuing the expression of frustration from our young people as opposed to the things that often make music studios their money? Right. Well, you, well this is um, there. Harry Belafonte launched this project, this initiative called Sankofa.org. And one of the missions of Sankofa.org is to do just that. And so he's been able to, because he's Harry Belafonte, <laughs> bring everyone to the table from Chuck D and MC Hammer to Jamie Foxx and Q-Tip and, and um, uh, John Legend and uh, most staff and Immortal Technique. And uh, there's, just, uh, there's a number of artists, Jasiri X, are, that are coming to the table to show up, and the challenge is that it just it takes so much strategy to bring these things together, mm-hmm. and implementation strategy takes time. And so, but the series they just re- 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 released a song, and I'm losing my brain on what the title of it is, that that that's being put out. And so the idea is that uh, um, money would be sourced to back artists who are doing what you're suggesting. And to also encourage artists who are totally not doing it to collaborate with these others mm. so that you can be in a situation where you have 50 Cent and David Banner with Immortal Technique doing a song. Wow. You know, that idea, that's it. That's the ideal vision that, that that's occurring and unfolding. Um, so, of course, there's the face of disagreement. There's the people who don't have hope that it could work. There's the people who don't believe. And so I... I I, that that machine is in motion and has been in motion for a year and a half, two years already. Mm-hmm. And they're just now getting these songs and materials out. And um, and I'm going to be doing a, a cypher workshop for one of the teach-ins at some point. And I, I think it's important. I think it's valid. I think it's a valid initiative. And I think it, it's possible that it can make a significant impact. I think we have to figure out how to make the music appealing and um, accessible, but I know from my experience, we also have to be able to create a space for the for young artists to develop themselves in their own voices. Right, and that, and that's what I do with the ciphers. I organize ciphers, so I get young rappers in the room. We have ground rules. The bitch whole thing is not a discussion, and you battle yourself because you're your own worst enemy. So your focus here is not an opponent, but yourself, so you can become your best. And there are no written rhymes. You freestyle because you need to develop that muscle because that's how you have internal confidence and not that false sense of confidence where you have to walk around the streets all with your bravado, be real. And there are exercises that we do that I've witnessed the transformation that occurs when you give an artist the tools to use the mind as a muscle and to build those skills. And it builds confidence and increases their critical thinking skills, heightens their access to creativity, expands their vocabulary, so they become better storytellers. So without having to preach to them about what to say, they automatically start saying something different. Mm. The need for aggressive lyrics decreases, and they start to tell real stories and authentic stories. And then they become so confident that they they begin to, to show the inside. 
They become to be more vulnerable, more transparent, more authentic. And it's particularly effective when you have teenagers, 20-somethings, 30-somethings, 40-somethings in the same cipher. And that's something that's also missing from mainstream hip-hop, this intergenerational element. A thing cannot grow without the family. Mm-hmm. And so that's important. And so one of the premises of the work that I've been up to is telling hip-hop artists, don't put down the mic because the corporation said you're older than 30 and you can't rap anymore. You rap because you rap, the same way people play the piano, play golf, play chess or garden or cook, because they love to do it and it makes them feel good. You started rapping because it makes you feel good. Mm. And, and when we cut off ourselves, that part of ourselves, we're cutting off our culture. So who, who throws away culture as if it's an old shoe? <laughs> right. That's not a smart person. That's not wise. Mm. And so that is... For me, that's where I think the focus needs to be from the ground up, Mm -hmm. Um, building up a people, building up a community of artists, building up um, a community of thinkers and feelers who will then become doers. Mm -hmm. And so I've I've been working on this for for many years, and I'm finally at a space where I'm confident enough in myself and my skills and where I'm not seeking approval from the music industry or any of the music moguls. And, and and my friends who are exact I don't I, I I used to go to them for feedback. I know it works. I did it. Mm-hmm. I did it before successfully on on the micro level, and now I'm ready to make a larger impact. And um, and so that's where my head and my heart are right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think and I, and I I believe I believe it's possible, and I know because the 18 25 year olds, you know, I'm grown. They still check for me. They're still asking, what's up, when we, when we build it. Yeah. But, I'm really excited about, yeah. I'm excited right. about right now. As a woman um, in the midst and in the position of this hip-hop um, work that you're doing and, and within our hip-hop culture, um, how did you find your voice? And do you feel like that there is still somewhat of a struggle for women and girls to have the same level of voice in hip-hop as men and boys? Um, I struggle to find my voice. Um, I still deal with the struggle to find my voice. I mean, I, I, I know what my voice is. To how to have it heard in the community of my community is still sometimes a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think hip-hop is a mirror of the world. So if hip-hop exists in our world, it's going to look just like this world that we live in where racists can be um, prosecuted with these very short terms and and, and people get more jail time for selling weed Mm. Um, in this world where women make half of the amount of money, Mm. um, where women don't get opportunities in the pulpit or at the presidential level in the same way that men do. And so hip-hop is going to look like the world. Um, and then I think getting women's voices heard is um, it's twofold. It's, it's women owning their power, which requires a sort of internal community healing. Because mm-hmm. there's, there's often an internalized oppression that occurs um, with, with any particular group when they are being excluded and oppressed and so I've had experiences where I've tried to bring women together and the women don't trust each other 
They don't want to be together. Or I've had you know women say, well, I work with you, and they look to the left and see 25 other women over there, and they're like, well, who are they? And I'm like, yo, that's our, those are our sisters, yo. <laughs> like, like we do anything. I started a project called Rhyme Like a Girl in 2002, and Rhyme Like a Girl came out of my work with Freestyle Union Cypher Workshop mm-hmm. that I started in 1994. And, and so I have a lot of experience in orga- trying to bring women together, women artists, female MCs together, and it's not been easy. Um, and then there's the programming where women, there was a, there was a long period where there's the, the first lady syndrome was spread and only one girl was allowed in each crew. Mm, right. So there could be five guys, 10 guys, 16 guys, but only one woman. Right. So you have this space where there's some women who think if there's more than one, they aren't going to get their shine. Right. And it's almost like the... Um, sitcoms, the popular sitcoms, there can only be one black person in, yes. the, in the popular sitcom. Yeah, and, yeah. and so that's problematic as well, and we have to begin to, women have to speak openly about that and be honest about that without, you know, feeling like we're bashing one. Sometimes we don't want to talk about it because then we feel like we're bashing each other or, you know, exposing mm-hmm. ourselves. But I think it's really, really important we get real about what women need to do um, in terms of um, in terms of having our voices heard. And mm-hmm. I feel like if, there, if there's more of a unified front, if there's more community amongst women, there's more of a chance to make an impact. Yeah, you know, it's why I'm, you know, really, you know, pushing, you know, this work that we're doing around National Save Our Daughters Night and really the interaction between fathers and their daughters and between men, you know, and girls, because it's one thing, you know, to have, you know, it's one thing for my daughters to have their mother empower them and encourage them, but it's a different thing when I do it, Um, when I Mm -hmm. give them space to be empowered and to be who they are and to um, sit in their greatness and be comfortable in their individualism and those kinds of things. It's just a different connotation, and I think that part of the work we still have in front of us, um, as you just stated, is to couple this work together so that we're all speaking to both our boys and our girls in a way that they feel the same and equal value and they have the same and equal voice. And I think as long as we continue to kind of pit against each other as to who's suffering the worst and who has the worst statistics amongst us, um, we're going to continue to suffer with finding a solution um, to achieving the greatness that we so deserve and are destined to be. Tony, mm-hmm. our time is running out, but I have one last question um, for mm-hmm. you that I've posed to all of the people that I've interviewed, um, and I've gotten some extremely profound answers, and I'm so curious as to how you're going to answer this question. So here it is. If God gave you the power right now to eliminate one issue for our girls, what would it be and why? Mm, if God gave me the power to eliminate one issue for our girls, um, oh, one issue. Um, I, I think I would, it would be, 
ensuring that each girl has access to um, an education that suits her learning style, that and and that 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 education that she receives is not just the literal traditional education of you know math, science, and English, but um, that our girls can could be taught uh, about relationships and communication and self-worth, that that be integrated into the communication and into the educational process. And, and I think that could alleviate a lot of challenges that girls go through when facing obstacles and create the space for them to make good choices and decisions and also develop them into leaders and visionaries I work with, I've been working with young people since I was a young people. <laughs> <laughs> I started working with young people when I was 16. Mm-hmm. I was, I, I was, I was um, uh, working with kids. And um, the one thing that, that still blows my mind is how brilliant they are mm-hmm. until, some, till they, till someone tells them they're not. Right. And then they believe it. And, and, and I think back to myself of how brilliant and insightful I was. And then I had to go through a recovery period mm. um, to get it back, to get back to my center and to get back to myself. And mm. what if we were able to circumvent and, and to not even have them have to go through that, to, to avoid that initial wounding, and so that we could support and honor their brilliance and their ideas and their insights I really do believe that personal development and spiritual development have to be integral parts of education. Mm, absolutely. Tony, thank you so much for being um, in this dialogue series. Um, I'm sure people will be blessed and, and, and informed and educated and inspired um, by what you said today. I certainly was um, just hearing your conversation, and, and there's so much more we could have talked about and so that gives me an opportunity to call you back so that we can delve um, into some of the work that you're doing. I'm extremely interested in the work that you're doing around the cipher, the whole concept um, of bringing people into circles um, to have conversation um, and to begin to find a safe space um, mm-hmm. to understand and to um, accept our differences and to embrace our commonalities. I just think that that is a incredible piece of work and I wish you all the best in it. And you know, whatever you need from me, I'm only a phone call away. All right, thank you. Thank you so much, you take care. All right, you too, bye-bye. You've been listening to The Black Bar on Blog Talk Radio with your host, Kenneth Braswell. Thank you for joining us as we continue to bring you the best in provocative, stimulating, and empowering dialogue. If you would like to support or learn more information about Fathers Incorporated, visit us at www.fathersincorporated.com, on Twitter at F-A-T-H-E-R-S-I-N-C-O-R-P, and follow us on Facebook at Fathers Incorporated. Remember, your self-sacrificing devotion to your purpose in life and your unwavering faith will carry you through the times of difficulty. Dr. Rev. Martin Luther King, until next time, be wonderfully and abundantly blessed.